Ladies and gentlemen, get on your feet, put your hands together, because it's time to march through madness! And now, your starting line of senior pastor, hailing from Houston, Texas, standing at six foot two or six foot three if you count the hair. He has a four and a half inch vertical and finally made his first free throw ever last Thursday. Here he is. Make some noise for Pastor Bill, the Serminator Cornelius. How you guys doing? Great to see you guys. Thanks for coming. Hey, let's give it up for the U.S. dunk team. Were those guys amazing or what? Incredible. Wow. I pulled my back watching. I was like, yeah, oh, that hurt. Incredible, man. Talk about some talented guys. I am amazed by that. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for joining us. Hey, you guys like those T-shirts? All right, then put them on, guys. Let's put on our T-shirts, all campuses right now. Put on that T-shirt. Let's do it. Get those T-shirts on. They look great on you. I want to see all the students wearing those to school this week, talking about their church. Everybody get your shirt on right now. Please do that. So we got all kinds of sizes for you, so please grab those. Glad you guys could make it, and I hope you enjoy that. And, and uh, your jump man Jesus, man, you got to have one of those, right? It's all good. Some guy in the back, I took his shirt off, put one on. I'm like, whoa, easy there, buddy. It's all good. Put your shirts on, though. Thanks so much for being here. Glad you guys have joined us and uh, for this great new series talking about the NCAA tournament, you know, the NCAA tournament is a huge deal. Did you know it's a $900 million business, the NCAA tournament? Did you know that? It is insane, the kind of money, the kind of following they have, the kind of TV ratings. It's, it's crazy. Everyone's going to be watching the March to Madness, right? Watching all these teams going one against each other until finally there are only two left playing for the national championship. These college teams are simply amazing. I love watching. I'm sure you do too. Again, thanks for being a part of the series. We have a lot of fun with this series. We're going to be talking basketball all month long and talking God with it all month long too. So please bring your friends, come back and join us, be a part of our entire series because I believe that God has something special to share with you through this. Hey, let's say our mission statement together real quick as a church. What are we here to do? We're here to take as many people to heaven as we can before we die, period. That's what we're all about here at Church Unlimited, so thanks for being a part. Please pull out your notes if you would. Today's message is called Cinderella Story. Every year in March Madness, there are two or three Cinderella stories. You guys probably know what that is. That's when some team seemingly comes out of nowhere that no one's even heard of and beats one of the big boys and does it several times and starts to climb through the brackets, and you think, who in the world is this team? Now, if Duke beats you know, uh, OU, that's not a, a Cinderella story. If Middle Tennessee State beats OU, that's a Cinderella story, right? In other words, like if, if Kansas beats Kentucky, not a Cinderella story. If Stephen F. Austin beats Kentucky, Cinderella story, right? And so it's when you see some team that really you think has no business even being there, all of a sudden they come out of nowhere and do something great. There's, there's several of these kind of stories in the, in the Bible. We're going to be looking at one in just a second. Hey, before I get to that, let me go give you a couple jokes here. How about this? How many NCAA players does it take to change a light bulb? Three. Anybody? One. But he gets money, a car, and three credit hours for it. It's crazy <laughs> how that works. What's the difference between the Dallas Mavericks and the dollar bill, by the way? You can still get four quarters out of the dollar bill. So, uh, yeah. So, uh... What do you call a current Houston Rockets player with a national championship ring, with a world championship ring? What do you call him that? You call him a thief. That's what you call him. That's right. 
So we're hoping that changes this year, though. We're hoping that this is our year. Hey, guys, thanks again for being a part of this series. So as we look at the Cinderella stories, I want to give you two quick ones, by the way, that we've had in recent years, two that may be familiar to you. One was back in the day in 1986, there was a CAA player of the year named David Robinson. He took the Navy midshipmen and surprised, in, uh, did a huge surprise and ran through the brackets. The team's first victory came in convincing fashion against Tulsa, 87-68. After that, it was the team shocked the world when they beat the number two seed, Syracuse, 97-85. The midshipmen finally fell just shy of the Final Four in losing to the number one seed, Duke Blue Devils. Or maybe remember this guy's coming out party. Uh, the, in, in, ninth, in 2008, NCAA tournament proved to be a sort of coming out party for a guy named Stephen Curry. The Davidson guard, who in the world is Davidson, right? The Davidson guard led his squad to victories over Gonzaga, Georgetown, and Wisconsin before narrowly falling to number one Kansas in the Midwest Regional Finals. So really, you know what happens is a lot of these players are really not household names yet until the tournament. And the tournament actually gives them an opportunity to become a household name, to, to, to sign a multi-million dollar deal with the NBA, and to do great things after that. And so really, that's what this kind of competition creates. It really creates stars. It really creates great opportunities. And oftentimes, those stars don't come from the big schools. Sometimes they come from some little school out of nowhere. Well, there is the ultimate Cinderella story in the Bible. And if you're going to talk Cinderella story, you got to go to David and Goliath. There is no greater Cinderella story. In fact, in the tournament this year, I promise you, you will hear commentators saying, wow, this team playing that team is like David playing Goliath. They will literally use that phrase because this is the number one Cinderella story in all the Bible when a kid took on a giant and won. And I believe that God wants you to have a Cinderella story in your life as well. So pull out your notes. I'm going to give you some things to write down. I believe that God has some great things for you today. And so let's jump right in. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, by the way, it, it unpacks the story. But before I get to that, let me give you a little background. David was the youngest of all his brothers. So here's what happened. Uh, Jesse, his dad, was out working one day, and all of a sudden he sees a caravan of camels pull up. This would be the equivalent of you seeing a bunch of black SUVs all pull up, lined up together. You'd be like, okay, someone important is here. I don't know who this is, right? But it's a big deal. So they all pull up, and Jesse's like, who is coming to my house, right? And all of a sudden, Samuel gets out, the prophet. He's a big deal in Israel. He walks up and says, I'm here to see your boys. One of your children, God has told me, is going to be the next king of Israel. And he's like, you got to be kidding me. He says, please line them up. So he goes and gets all his boys. He said, please give me a moment. He goes and gets all his boys to shower up, get cleaned up, and come over, come over here and line up in, in, in order of birth. They all get lined up, and he says, okay, go ahead, pick the next king. So he goes one by one through them. Here's the bad part about the story. David wasn't included in that list. He didn't even invite David to the party. Not only did he not think David was going to be the next king, he didn't even bother letting him come see who one of his brothers become the next king. So he didn't get invited. You talk about rejection? Really, Dad? Like, you just leave me out to watch sheep? with all the hired hands when I'm your son, you let me come into this. And so oftentimes I've seen that when God does something great through someone, he lets them go through an early rejection at a young age. Maybe that's you. Maybe you thought it was meant to stop you, but really it's meant to wake you up to recognize there's something bigger than life than fitting in with your bros. That God has a plan for you. So David's out in the field. Solomon goes one by one through them. First of all, Jesse's shocked. All the brothers are shocked when they didn't choose the oldest. Normally you always choose the firstborn in Jewish, uh, that's just how it works in Jewish culture. So they're like, wow, I can't believe you pick him. They go on the next one. He's like, nope, this isn't him. Goes to the next one, no, this isn't him. Finally, he says, do you have any other sons? He says, well, I have one. He's out watching sheep. He goes, well, bring him in. We won't eat until, we bring, until I meet him. He comes in. As soon as Samuel sets his eyes on David, he says, this is the one. 
You are the one. And he breaks out some oil. This is the way they did it back then. And they poured the oil over him, anointed him with oil, and said, you will be the next king. So what happened next, right? It must have been so awesome. I'm sure they had like Israeli People magazine there getting interviews. They got his own TV show, right? All this kind of stuff. No, no, go back and watch your sheep again. Sometimes God reveals things to you way before you get to see them happen. So here he is watching sheep. You ever felt like you're at a job way below what you feel called to do? You ever felt that way? That was David. He's watching sheep when he's supposed to be the next king. Now, fast forward the story a little bit. All of his older brothers go off to war. He's still too young to do that. So he's thinking, I'm supposed to be the next king. Shouldn't I be at war? Shouldn't, because all kings in their day were great generals, former great generals in the military. That's who becomes king normally. And so why am I not in battle? He says, no, David, you're too young. You stay here and watch the sheep. So he's watching the smelly sheep while his brothers go off to become heroes in the war. His dad comes to him and says, hey, uh, David, I want you to go check on our brothers, see how they're doing at war. And so here you're going to pack some food. That's the excuse basically to take it to him and then check on them. So he takes the food to the brothers. He gets there. He hands the food over to someone and realizes all the soldiers are out at the battlefield. So he's, you know, like most kids, he's like, I want to see the action, right? So he puts it all down. He runs to the battlefield just to see what's going on. When he gets up there, what they've chosen to do is called single combat. Single combat means instead of both our armies fighting, you choose your best guy. We'll choose our best guy, and they'll fight each other. The problem was their best guy was Goliath. And Goliath, like when he walked out, it looked like Shaquille O'Neal's older, bigger brother. I was like, are you kidding me? This is insane. This guy is massive, right? So they're freaking out. No one wants to fight him. And so he t- he's taunting them day after day. Come on, come on, you big blankety blanks. And he's just cussing them, yelling at them. You know, you think your God's so great. Our God's better than your God and Israel's this and that. And he's just laying it on them. And so, and they're all just cowering and hiding. David walks up and sees this. He's like, who's the big guy yelling at us? Why is he going to go fight him? They're like, look at him. Look how big he is. He's like, someone needs to take, take care of this. And David is angry. He's like, are you kidding me? Everyone's hiding? And so here are all these guys trained in battle, trained in war, trained in how to kill, and they're all hiding behind bushes. Kind of reminds me of a couple weeks ago when someone was trained to handle a shooter, yet they decided to stay and hide behind a car. It's frustrating, isn't it? You're like, you know, people die when you do that. Someone needs to take care of this problem, right? And so basically all these guys are hiding out. David shows up. He says, well, well, what's the deal? And they said, well, the king said, anyone who, this guy's just mouthing off, one of the army guys, oh, hey, what's your name? Oh, I'm David. Who, why are you here? You don't have clothes on? What's the deal? And he says, oh, yeah, I don't have all the gear. I'm not in the army, but my brothers are. And he's like, oh, okay, well, what's going on? And he says, well, th- this guy, Goliath's been taunting us for the last month. And he says, for a month? He's like, yeah. And he says, uh, yeah, he keeps telling us he's going to kill us and this and that, and he's just taunting us, but no one will fight him. He says, no one will? He says, yeah, no one will fight him. It got so bad, the king upped the ante and said, anyone who will fight him gets to marry his daughter. He's like, what? <laughs> Which daughter? Like, the good-looking one or the one with the good personality? Which one are we talking about? <laughs> I mean, you want to clarify stuff, you know, still a guy. And so he says, oh, the good-looking one. He's like, oh, nice. He goes, anything else? He goes, oh, yeah, they don't have to pay taxes for the rest of their life. I mean, I don't know what you would, I, that's worth it to me right there. I'll be like, I'll risk my life for that. That's, that's awesome. And so he's like, wow, seriously? He goes, yeah. So David's thinking, I'm anointed to be the next king. And so kings go to battle. This is an opportunity for me. But remember this, all opportunities always present themselves as intimidating problems. It's a huge opportunity for him. So what does he do? He goes before the king, and this is what he says. He says, David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. And so basically, by the way, Philistines modern name Palestine. I don't know if you knew that or not, but basically the, the Philistines' land ended at Gaza. It's a Gaza Strip. And guess what? Philistines still hate Israel. That hasn't changed, has it? 
Okay? So we can even see this in history now. But what does the first thing tell us? Number one, if you want to be a Cinderella story, you have to be willing to play an opponent larger and better than you. Would you write that down? You have to be willing to play an opponent larger and better than you. Speaking of larger and better, you know, there's some, some players in the NBA that were incredibly small. There's a guy named Spud Webb in the 80s. He was five foot seven, and he played in the NBA. In fact, he actually won the dunk contest, and he was five foot seven. There was also another guy named Muggsy Bogues, maybe you heard of him. He was five foot three. Five foot three. Played in the NBA for 14 years. Apparently, you can play with giants, because he did. And so David knew God was calling him to go and fight this battle. Look at look this next. In, in 1 Samuel 17, so David goes and tells Saul, the, the king, I'll, I'll fight him. Then look what Saul says. Saul replied, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. He's like, look at the dude. You can't fight him, David. Look, you're kind of small. No offense, but look at Goliath. He's gigantic. He's been on varsity since first grade. He's had a full beard since fourth grade. If he wants a beard, he just gets mad and goes, and just pops out. This guy is a man's man, you know? And you, like, barely have a fuzzy lip. There's no way. You're going to go fight this guy, right? And he says, no, 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 I, I can do this, right? So, so basically, the king doesn't believe David can do it. Then when David gets out to the battlefield, look what Goliath says about him. He says this, he looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, and he despised him. He's like, are you kidding me? You sent me a boy? You want me to fight a little kid? And so he's angry that David's not bigger, and you know, he's thinking he's going to fight a big guy like him. You know, And he's like, no, we thought it was going to be Andre Giant and the Hulk Hogan, but no, it's Andre the Giant and, you know, someone very small. It's like, this is, this is, this is not a, a fair battle. You know, it's like, I don't understand. Andre the Giant and Kevin Hart. This is really going to be awkward. I don't know <laughs> what's going to happen here. So basically, it, it doesn't seem to match up, but, but God is in this. And so let me tell you one of the greatest gifts that you can ever have. And this is one of the greatest gifts that are given to the, that's going to be given to teams this year that become Cinderella stories. And this, believe it or not, is a gift. It's going to seem like an insult, but it's not. It's really a gift from God. Here it is. Number two, see being underestimated as a gift. When people underestimate you, that gives you an opportunity. Because guess what's going to happen? There's going to be some Duke or Georgetown or UConn or some big team like that that's going to play some small town Davidson type team, uh, that's going to play some Middle Tennessee State type team, and they're thinking, I, I got this. And they're already overlooking, they're looking past that team, thinking about the next game they already have, not really giving it, giving it all, they're all at that game. They forgot that all those players got scholarships too. All those players played hard in high school as well. And so they're actually legit athletes. They just may not be legit athletes that got to go play for Georgetown or UConn or whoever, but they're still legit athletes. And so if they're going hard and you're not going hard, you can get beat. And oftentimes this happens. And so when you are underestimated, it's an opportunity. So maybe at work, people are going, oh man, you know, they're not doing much. They're not really gifted. They're not going to make much of a difference. If, if you feel belittled at work, if you feel belittled at home, if you feel belittled at school, if you feel like no one takes you serious, do you understand the opportunity that is for you? That you could just begin to go hard, begin to apply uh, work ethic and really do, do your best, and people are going to go, whoa, look at you. Because they didn't expect much, so when you gave them much, it shocked them. And so you have an opportunity to surprise them, just like the Cavs did a number of years ago. They were down 3-1. They came back and won it all. Everyone thought they're done. But then they started to climb back. And so when you get underestimated, that's an opportunity. The Rockets in the 90s were underestimated, and they won two championships because of that. And so when you're under—sorry, I had to include that. You know I'm a Houston's boy, so you know, I had to, had to throw that in. But, but when you're underestimated, it gives an opportunity. This last election cycle, I mean, irregardless of your politics, the entire media thought they knew who was going to win president, and that gave our current president an opportunity because he was totally underestimated. 
And so in the same way, when you're underestimated, you get an opportunity. And so don't be discouraged by that. That is a blessing. When people don't think you've got much, then you can shock the world when you show them that you do have much. Does that make sense? So I'll encourage you. It's okay to be underestimated. I remember years ago when we first moved to Corpus Christi, people thought, you know, who's this kid in the school? He's only 25 years old. I would go to pastor meetings and they would say, when's the pastor coming? I was like, oh, I am the pastor. They're like, and that literally they, to my face, they would say, oh, we thought you were like his intern. We didn't know you were the pastor. They didn't even mean it as an insult. I just looked so young, just like I still look so young today. <laughs> but it was like, man, you're, you're, you're the pastor? You know, it's okay to be underestimated. That's an opportunity for you. Don't worry about that. Just shock the world with what you have to offer and bring your best game. If you'll do that, you can be a Cinderella story. I want to encourage you. You know, it, the thing is, David looked at Goliath, and everyone looked at David like he's so small, and everyone looked at Goliath like, you're so big, we can't win. And David looked at Goliath like, you're so big, I can't miss. It's all in how you look at it, right? Remember when David was out in the wilderness, middle of nowhere, watching sheep while his brother's off at war? He's probably bored. You know, so what do you do when you're bored? Whatever, right? So he's just standing out there, and he's got his little slingshot. He's like, let me just try to hit a couple things, and he keeps missing stuff, you know. But since he's there for hours at a time, eventually he hits a tree. He's like, hey, oh, I actually got that. Let me try that again. Oh, I missed again. Okay, hold on. Okay, let me see if I can. Oh, I got it again. Okay. Oh, I got it a second time. I got, I'm pretty good. Let me back up a little bit, see if I can get this at a distance. So he winds it up, boom. Next thing you know, instead of running and chasing off one of the foxes trying to come get the sheep, he thought, I'm gonna see if I can do it from here. I don't even have to go over there. Bam, hits the fox on the run. Whoa, I just nailed him. So he got good with a slingshot. He got good with a sling and a rock. And so why? He had nothing but time. Let me ask you something. What do you do in your downtime? Are you getting good at Netflix? <laughs> you getting good at Fortnite? Oh, did I just touch a sensitive spot in every home in here? Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm aware of it. The truth is, is that we give our best time to things that won't advance us. Let's begin to give our, our extra time, our downtime, and our best time to things that advance us. And so David said, you know what? I'm going to get good with the sling. You never know when this may come in handy. Well, he had no idea that one day a bear would show up, a lion would show up, and one day a giant would show up. And he had a giant opportunity standing right in front of him. Do you recognize the opportunity in front of you, or are you too intimidated by it? When someone in the office just dumps a problem on you that no one can solve, you say, great, give it to me. Great. No, no, no. But if you solve it, no one solved it, that means you're the leader now. So just solve the problem. This is an opportunity. You've got to see it as a great opportunity. I heard about this uh, guy. He joined a 40-over-age basketball uh, team, basketball league, and basically... What they do is they don't jump for the ball. The ref just roll the ball out, and he wouldn't actually bend over and grab it. It gets possession. That's how that works. So, yeah. That's a joke. It was just kind of went down. It's a bomb. Okay. Moving right along. So 1 Samuel 17. Keep in mind, I'm a professional speaker. 1 Samuel 17. This is interesting. Guess what happens next? Saul says to David, he says, hey, you know what? If you're going to go fight him, wear my gear. Right? So he gives him his tunic, he gives him his cloak, he gives him all the stuff. So now he's got all this protective gear on. Look at the scripture. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword and tunic and tried walking around. Because he was not used to them, he said, I can't go out in these. He said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. So Saul's walking around. I mean, David's walking around in Saul's outfit. First of all, Saul's taller than him, so it's already too big for him. And he's like, you can go fight in my outfit. And he's like, I, I, I can't fight in this. I can hardly move. I can hardly walk. There's no way I can fight a giant in this. Please, I, I don't need to wear this. And let me tell you something too. You're never going to win your victories in someone else's uniform either. You got to be who you are. Quit trying to be someone you're not and just be who you are. 
What does this also mean? It means that, that David understood that the best chance I got is with my sling and a stone because he knew how to use that. And David had the stones. You know what I'm saying? First Samuel 17 says this. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone stank, sank into his forehead. That's just gross. It went, in, it went through, basically it went into his brain. Sunk into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. And so David's like, I'm taking you down, but I'm just gonna take it with a sling and a stone. So he comes out, Goliath is over there. And by the way, remember Goliath despised him? So you know, most, most soldiers are, got their shield up, right? But he's already been taunting these guys all month. So he's, he's pretty, con he feels comfortable out here in the battlefield. And I was like, I'm just walking, I own this space, this is mine. And when you get comfortable, you get stupid. And so he's walking around like, this is mine, I got this, you know? And so they said, oh, you know, the Israel now has a warrior that's gonna fight you. Where's he at? Seriously? Him? <laughs> that little boy over there? I'm going to feed him to the dogs. He's nothing, right? And David's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to feed your head to the, you know, and, all, and he's like, whoa, is this guy popping back at me? And he was like cocky. David like popped back and I'm going to feed your body to the birds. He's like, uh, I'm sorry. Are you 10? Are you talking to me right now? Like, he can't believe it. But I wonder if in that moment he had that sword and shield up. I wonder that moment he let that shield down and was like, Look at you. And David thought, thank you for dropping that shield. That's just what I needed. Bam. Only two hits. Stone hitting him, him hitting the ground. Victory was his. By the way, let me just point out a couple of things about this, way, about this story. You know, Goliath was said to be eight or nine feet tall. And, uh, you know, people that are that tall, there are people in history that have been that tall. They have what's called a pituitary gland problem. Their pituitary gland keeps keeps growing. See, see, the pituitary gland is what causes your body to grow, and if it doesn't shut off, you begin to become overgrown, basically. And uh, there's whole, I mean, you can Google this if you'd like. It's all kinds of stuff on this, but Tony Robbins has this issue, but it did finally shut off for him, but if it didn't, they would have to go in and have surgery, and, and so that he's giant, if you've ever seen him, and, and uh, other people are that way, too. Well, basically, clearly, he had, probably had a pituitary gland. The biggest problem with that is not being big. That's a problem for some people, but the biggest problem is that it grows every muscle you have as well, and the muscle, of your, uh, the muscle of your eyeballs, your eyeballs have muscles in them, keep growing, and eventually they grow too big and it blinds you. So almost everyone that is this size has horrible eyesight, can hardly see anything. I think it's interesting in Scripture when, when Goliath says to David, come over here so I can fight you. I wonder if we'd be really saying, come over here so I can see where the heck you are so I can fight you. So he's like, hey, Come over here so I can fight you. He's a sitting duck. And David's like, I'm not going over there. I'm not stupid. I'm fighting this battle on my terms. And this is just, I mean, you're just a sitting duck. I'm just going after you. And he just began to sling all it took was one rock, and he took him down. I want to encourage you. This is one thing we need to learn to do. Number three, go for high percentage shots. Go for high percentage shots. What's a high percentage shot? Doing the shot you're good at is a high percentage shot. What, what are you simply good at? Whatever that is, if you practice it enough, you get a high percentage return on it. Do more of that. Do me a favor right now with a pen in your hand and just write down three or four things you're good at. Just, just let, let's not even define it yet. Just, just if you, you have a hard time doing this thing, I'm not good at anything. What do people say you're good at? Maybe you don't feel like you're being arrogant. Then just what do your friends tell you, man, you're good at this. Oh, wow, girl, you're really great at that. Or, oh, man, you're just excellent. Just whatever it is, write those things down. Maybe say, I'm good with people. Uh, I'm good with numbers. I'm good at organizing things. I'm good at uh, making people laugh. I'm good at making people feel comfortable. I'm an includer. I, I'm good at getting up early. And I'm good at tasks. I'm good at, what are you good at? Maybe you're good with your hands. Whatever it is you're good. Would you just write those things out? You guys are looking at me. Please write. You should be writing right now. 
Write some things down that you're good at. Would you do that real quick? Because the key to your Cinderella story is in what you just wrote down. If you can utilize what you're good at, that's your game. You need to run your game, what you're good at, and that is what will build your life and help you have a Cinderella story where you go further than you ever thought you could go. Hey, next week, don't miss, I'm going to be talking about how to double your value and double your results. The Bible talks about a doubling. In fact, there's a lot of scripture on this, and there's a story in particular that talks about a special doubling and how you can double the results that you've been getting. And so don't miss next weekend. Maybe you're not interested in money. Maybe that's not a big thing for you, but maybe you do want to double your income. Great. This will work for that too. Maybe that's not an interest to you. For me, that's not my thing. My thing is I want to double our impact as a church, right? So applying these principles help us to do that. So whatever you want to double, maybe you want to double your happiness, double your influence, double your opportunities. And so be sure to be here next week for that message. Redouble your efforts to get here, right? So, pardon the pun. Don't miss next week. In fact, right now, would you pull out your phones? Right now, everyone pull out your phones real quick, and right now, go to Facebook or our Instagram or uh, go to our Twitter, and would you just repost what we posted? We posted an advertisement on this right now. We did a post on doubling. Maybe you're into basketball, and you want to sign up for three and three, and you want to get your friends in it. This is a great opportunity to get people to come to church that wouldn't normally come. We've also posted something about the three and three tournament. You can post that if you'd like as well. We appreciate you doing. Let's get the word out. Let's be social media evangelists and get the word out. So David gets this great victory. He becomes the Cinderella story of the Bible. What does God say about you and me? He says in Romans 8, 31, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Can I say that one more time? If God is for us, who can be against us? Whatever stands in your way, if God is for us, who can be against us? Scripture says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So I want to challenge you right now, to just like David, to quit thinking small, quit thinking little, quit holding back, quit living without faith, and begin to step up your life and say, I want to do great things, because here's the truth I know. You will miss 100% of the shots you never take. you got to start taking shots again. you got to start trying again. you got to step up. You're going to be saying, Pastor, you don't know, I mean, I, I just went through a big failure. We know I want to point something out. You may have gone through a failure, but you're not a failure. Don't confuse an event with a person. You're not a failure. You've gone through a failure. Listen, failure is not final until you quit attempting. You know, every national championship team has a coach that typically the year or two before almost made it and lost. And then they almost made it and lost again. Almost made it and lost again. And finally, they won it all, Right? And so they just kept attempting and kept attempting and kept attempting. And eventually, if you keep trying and keep going for it, eventually you're going to win. But you got to stay at it. So I want to challenge you that we believe in faith. We believe in a God who loves us. Don't we understand that God has faith in us and he believes in us? He gave us gifts and talents and abilities and he gave us passion to do certain things and he gave us a dream and he gave us a destiny. And it's time for you and I to begin to go for that destiny because there is a Cinderella story in you waiting to happen, but you've got to come alive again and begin to go for it and play to win. you got to play to win. Would you write that down? God wants you to play to win. Every head bowed, every eye closed, we just take a moment to pray right now. I want to challenge you today. Quit holding back. Quit thinking small. Maybe you say, Pastor, you're talking about Cinderella stories. I'm in the middle of a dead-end job. I'm buried in school. I, I, I'm kind of stuck. Pastor, I feel kind of stuck. Anyone relate to that? Can you, can you relate to that today? I just feel like I don't. I don't have anything good going on. I feel, I'm, I'm trying to make enough money. I, I got difficulties in front of me. I, I can't see a way around this. And you're telling me I'm a Cinderella story? 
That means God has you right where he wants you. When you feel stuck, the only thing to do is to look up. Okay, God, I don't know what else to do. And God says, I've been waiting for you to do that. I've been waiting for you to look up. I've been waiting for you to trust in me. I know that I have a plan for your life. David developed his character in the middle of the wilderness so that when the accolades came, he could handle it. Is there something in you that needs to be developed? With your head bowed and your eyes closed, maybe God's speaking to you about something you need to change. Boy, God's going to speak to me about that. How about you? There's areas we need to change for us to go to the next level. Or we will literally hold ourselves back from God's plan. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, commit to God to changing that area. You're saying, okay, God, I know you're doing business with me. I know you're working on my heart. I want to be a man of God now. I want to be a woman of God now. I want to live that royal life that that priest spoke over me. God's called me as the prophet today, the Samuel in your life today, to speak over you, to pour some anointing oil on your head and say, you're the one. You are the one. You got to believe it, though. You got to start working towards it. Start taking steps of faith. Start attempting more. And you can be the next David and Goliath, the next Cinderella story. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can pray this prayer and receive him right now. You can just say, Dear Jesus, I realize I need you. I believe you died on the cross for me. And I believe you rose again. You paid the price for my sins. I've repented my sins. I ask you to come into my heart. Be my Lord and be my Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. In your name we pray. Amen. Isn't God good? His word is so true.